This is your home for St. Cloud State Hockey, keeping you up to date on the NCHC. Women's WCHA. Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies. The National Hockey League. Kaprizov in for a chance to win it. He scores! Thrill the thrill is for real! Welcome to the NHL, a game winner. And everything from the state of hockey. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title. Welcome to the Huskies Warming House Podcast Den. to episode number 81 here on the Huskies Warming House podcast. I'm Noah Grant, joined alongside by my co-host as always, <laughs> if I can remember here, Mr. Nick Maxson. Excited to have you on here on this Sunday morning. Nick, you and I, uh, a little bit of a later wake up for us. We're both working some hockey this weekend. Hockey season is back in action all across the country uh, in the NHL, the college hockey and the NHL world, of course, as we get ready and rolling for some regular season action. And we're going to break that all down for you. Of course, women's hockey was in action for St. Cloud State. Men's hockey in action last night against St. Thomas. They'll be back in action again tonight as well at the Exxon Energy Center in St. Paul. Before we get to that, we do have our Huskies Illustrated Weekly Roundup and our extra ice session as well that we're going to talk a little bit of hockey across the globe. So stay tuned. Center ICU News and Notes coming your way next. Center Ice View News and Notes. Center Ice View provides you with the best coverage of St. Cloud State Huskies hockey from game notes, recaps, photos, and more. Go to centericeview.com. It's starting off to know the Huskies Illustrated Weekly Roundup for those Husky fans waiting to get the Huskies back on the ice. Uh, they waited for a good one. And uh, they always say foots at our mouth here, Mr. Noah Grant. Uh, holy cow. A NCAT record of 12 goals by St. Cloud City. They win this one by a final of 12 to two. Huskies toward three in the second, uh, excuse me, three in the first, six in the second, four in the third. They cap off the win. Rennick stopped 12 to 13. Joey Lambert also saw some time. He stopped 18 and 19. Kevin Fitzgerald led all shooters with four points. Uh, Chase Brand, Zach Wakabi, Yami Kranela, Easton Brodzinski, and Andre Trayball had three points. Uh, also, Jack Peart getting his first two collegiate points in last night's contest with two assists. Um, all in all, every single player except for Joey Molinar and the goaltenders uh, registered a point on the score sheet. And as you mentioned tonight, they face off for game number two. And that series, technically a home game for St. Thomas at the X here at 5 o'clock this evening. Yeah, we'll talk a little bit more about that, of course, in the main portion of the show, as will we with this next one here. St. Cloud State Women's Hockey back in action Friday and Saturday this weekend. Uh, their last stretch of non-conference games, so to speak, before they get ready for next week's action. Uh, coming off that thrilling overtime victory the weekend before against Bemidji State, they hosted the Lindenwood Lions. Uh, they executed the sweep on home ice. Uh, 4-2 to score in both games. Taylor Lynn paced all skaters with four points. He needed a new Lynn tallied three. Uh, and sophomore Emma Gentry, she nabbed the team lead right now. She's got two goals in the season and she had an assist last weekend as well and olivia savar kenna weslow and tatum geyer will join her with two points on the or 
behind her with two points on the score sheet. St. Cloud travels to face WCHA full Wisconsin next weekend, which will be a very, very tough test for them. Uh, so, Noah, you know, we, we have tough stories around the world and the hockey world is no different. We've had a couple of these last few months. Uh, now it's sort of a new one. Uh, this one coming of the UHL, that's uh, the Ukrainian Hockey League, for those who are unfamiliar. Uh, Jalen Smerik, an African-American hockey player, was taunted uh, by an opponent. His name was Andre Deniskin. And essentially what happened is he uh, mined the peeling and the eating of a banana directed at him. Um, the racist gesture only earned him a 13-game suspension from the league, which came uh, kind of a shock as the hockey world. Um, but, you know, it, it, including uh, the victim, you could say, um, he, he has essentially said, I'm not going to play another game in the, uh, in the UHL uh, until the, uh, uh, the offending player is either banned or has some other consequences. Uh, Eugene Kulichev, the GM of the UHL, was fired after he spoke about the racism inside the UHL, um, and that came down for the Ukrainian Hockey Federation. Uh, so, you know, kind of a storyline. We've seen these sorts of things in the NHL the last couple of years now in the UHL, except this one, I think, raises the bar a little bit, Noah, because not only do you have um, a player who hasn't really been, uh, you know, suspended, and I think also if he paid a fine, and I think this is what drove people nuts here. Yeah. Now, if he paid some sort of fine, that suspension could have been reduced to, I believe, like in half, like six games. But then yeah. as the uh, GM getting fired, too, for speaking out about it from the league, I think that's what's caught the eye of many in, in the story. Um, let's go to some other NHL news. Um, first of all, the Arizona Coyotes became the first team in the NHL to fully relax their dress code for all games. You know, players do not have to follow the Exhibit 14 Paragraph five of the collective bargaining agreement, which states that, quote, players are required to wear jackets, ties, and dress pants to all club games and while traveling to and from such games, unless otherwise specified by the head coach or general manager. And I have to think, Noah, that this exhibit, 14 paragraph, I was probably written by Lou Lamorello back in the day somewhere. I just, I have a gut feeling. Yeah, I... I'm a little torn on that one, actually. And maybe we can discuss this as we get into the main show, but I've always loved the idea of getting dressed up in a suit and tie. I mean, obviously, I think within reason, if you're going for a 15 hour road trip, you're probably going to wear sweatsuits or maybe pack the suits and, and don't wear them until you get to the hotel that night. But I don't know. That just kind of seems like a hockey player thing that's always been tradition. So I don't know how I feel about that. And not surprised that Arizona's the team to do it, I suppose, of all teams. But nonetheless, um, that's probably why I'm not in the National Hockey League. Um, in our final wrap-up, we did have a few big signings, injuries, and a little bit more in the NHL as well. Uh, the two big ones that we were kind of waiting for that we had discussed a couple weeks ago in Vancouver, the Canucks, uh, they nabbed their pair of restricted free agents for Elias Patterson, a three-year deal at $7.35 million annually, and dynamic defenseman, former Michigan Wolverine Quinn Hughes, $7.85 million annually for the next six seasons. Uh, Patterson won the Calder in 2019, and Hughes was a runner-up uh, this past year before this year in 2020 and Ottawa's Brady Kachuk. He's the only remaining RFA in the national hockey league right now. That big one still left to be on sign there in Toronto. Ben's boss, Sheldon O'Keefe uh, nabbed a two-year extension with a 62, 29 and 12 regular season record. Uh, so good for him to get his new extension. Now he's really got to do something about that first round exit that Toronto has uh, woefully been a part of. 
Meanwhile, unrestricted free agent Sammy Votnin, he's headed to Sweden, uh, 30 years old. He last played for Dallas, Carolina, and New Jersey. Uh, not a bad defenseman, a fourth-round pick selected by Anaheim. He had 200 points in 473 NHL games, so kind of an interesting little look at 30 years old there. I, I don't think he was the player he was when he first jumped into the league, so to speak, but I still think he had a lot left in the tank as far as the NHL was concerned. Our last uh, little bit of stories here, a couple of injuries here and a suspension. Ottawa's Ridley Grieg, he was given a two-game suspension for cross-checking Winnipeg's Pierre-Luc Dubois. Detroit forward Jakob Vrana, this is going to be tough for the Red Wings, going to miss four months after shoulder surgery. And Montreal's Sammy Niku is day-to-day with a concussion. Once again, welcome in episode number 81, Noah Grant alongside Nick Max and Nick. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you here this morning. Uh, how was, how was your first chance to uh, get the, get to see the Huskies in person, quote unquote, so to speak, and finally uh, see men's hockey back in action and kind of get just more of her back into the rhythm of things. Yeah. For both squads, you know, women's and men's, you know, covered uh, both women's and covered last night's men games all at the, uh, all at the Herbrooks national hockey center. Um, you know, it's always good to get back into the rink. And I think you, you could sense from the players, the coaches, I mean, everybody involved, even the arena staff, um, it's been too long, over 580 so odd, you know, days since I think the last hockey game took place inside the Herbs, where, you know, with a, with a, with a crowd. Uh, so, you know, and then for us, you know, for the broadcast teams, you know, just try to get back into the swing of things. Um, it was a very truncated season last year. Um, and so we're looking to hit the ground running here very, very quickly. We're recovering a lot of games. Um, I think we still have four or five more women's games. And of course, the rest of the men's home games coming up this season. Uh, it feels great. Um, but it was also the start of a hectic schedule for all of us. Uh, because you just, as you know, Noah, once you kind of dip your toes in the broadcasting world, it, A, it sucks you in and B, it, it sucks the life out of you sometimes in terms of uh, the exciting commitment. But, you know, that's what you sign up for. You know, I absolutely love it. Uh, you know, so... Here we are. We're ready to roll. This is what we've been waiting for for months. And I'm glad that we're, October is here. Yeah, I like your, uh, by the way, speaking of October, I like your your scary setup with the skeletons in the background there. That looks pretty good. I drug those out of the closet. <laughs> That's the metaphor for everybody this morning. I say, um, is that the rest of the fam back there? <laughs> I don't know. I think one of them's Caleb, if we could find him. I don't know. But the 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 one that right in the middle. <laughs> yeah, that's what that's yeah, I think that would be Caleb. So if Caleb is watching and listening, which I know he is, uh well, yeah, new phone, who dis? Anyway, so <laughs> uh, know, no, he, but <laughs> you know, it's funny too. He he always he always says to me, he goes, I he goes, I think Nick hates me. I'm like, no, doesn't hate you. <laughs> no. Um I for for those, you know, for those who who give me crap on Twitter, um, I, I love it. Keep it coming. Um, I think it's a lot of fun. Uh, you know, because I'm always kinda I've always been kind of self-deprecating in terms of like making fun of myself. It's just kind of been my humor style. So when someone else does it, it you know, if you're creative and you have fun with it, which Caleb does actually very, very well, um, it's actually quite enjoyable for me. So um, no, please keep it coming. Uh it's it's quite fun to interact with the fans in that way. So yeah, it's it's super impressive uh, to kind of see what he does. He often gets more retweets and likes than we do, just 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 the way his style. It's almost like he works in marketing and social media. It's almost like he knows what he's doing. Um, yeah, you he know, definitely knows how to, how to, how to stir the crowd, as they say. Yeah. <laughs> yes, he does. Uh, yeah, and I I can totally empathize with uh, with the piece of signing up for for doing some hockey. Of course, I was working in the NHL doing 
some Minot Minotauro hockey against the Bismarck Bobcats last night. And uh, of course I texted you after the game and said, Hey, can we push it back an hour? <laughs> so it's already starting to begin as far as uh, that is concerned. Uh, not a, not a close hockey game by any means in our realm, either five to two uh, finish for uh, Minot over Bismarck. And uh, the shots until the third period that was like 30 to like 12 or something like that. So it really wasn't a tight hockey game at all, but um, we'll get into a little bit more of that men's hockey side and some trivia in just a moment, but let's start with the women's team. Cause of course they played both games this weekend, uh, a sweep against Lindenwood. You got some players that really, we were kind of waiting Olivia Safar, Taylor Lynn players that we were hoping, you know, kind of moving into their uh, upperclassmen years. We're hoping that we're going to take that next step there. Um, I mean, what were your impressions with this women's hockey team uh, this weekend and especially kind of getting a Friday, Saturday, a back-to-back for the first time this season in almost uh, five or six months? Uh, so first impressions for the women's team, um, they look good. Um, and, you know, this is, you know, we talked about the, the steps we were hoping to see. I think we saw a step this weekend. Now, granted, no disrespect to Lindenwood. I know that their, you know, their program isn't necessarily – um, you know, in the best of spots, but, you know, you still have to go out and take care of business against any division one opponent. Um, you know, St. Cloud's real measuring stick is going to come this weekend when they travel to Wisconsin. That's going to be, uh, that's going to be quite the, uh, the wake up call for, um, for this team. But when you talk about a couple of players, uh, you know, again, uh, uh, you mean a couple of them. Uh, I thought Taylor Lynch looked absolutely spectacular. Um, you talked about um, Courtney Hall. I thought had a really good game. Kenzie Wally in the back. And Emma Gentry looked really, really good, too. Uh, Nicole Ness had a good one. But I'll tell you what, there was actually two other players that we haven't ever talked about yet that actually were the most impressive. They're two freshman defensemen, Dale Ross, as well as Grace Wolf. Um, Grace Wolf and Dale Ross, uh, holy cow. Um, they were on the first two pairings. And uh, Noah, I'll tell you this. What you know when things are okay when you can rely on the, on the defenseman to always make the right decision in the, in the defensive end, whether it's, you know, that first pass, using the feet, just get it off the glass to get it out. Um, these two have absolutely solidified that defensive core for the for women, you know, for the women's team, at least in these first two games. Um, for a freshman, they look like they've played divisional hockey before. They, they look very, very comfortable. Um, they look like they're not panicking in the puck. Um, so despite the offense, which was there, and I thought, for the, the first time in my four years of covering the women's team, they've actually dominated offensively. We're creating chances, not only on the special teams, but also even strength and different ways we've seen before. It's not just a one trick pony. It's not just offense on the rush. They were actually setting up, getting zone time, getting the cycle going. So more of that next level is there. So, you know, this, I'm sure Steve McDonald has, is very pleased with what he would have seen this, uh, this weekend. But in other words, though, you know, and we could, you know, tip perhaps a lot of players, but honestly, those two defensemen, both freshmen, by the way, were actually to me the most impressive skaters on this roster this weekend. Yeah, fantastic start for this team. I think, you know, you've got a power play right now sitting at over 22% and a penalty kill uh, at just over 85%. I mean, that's, and also when you talk about driving possession, um, almost 38 shots per game for this Husky squad, you know, that's something that, we were used to seeing that 38, it was just on the other side, right? It was on the opponent's side, 38 shots against, and they're, they're out shooting their opponents through the first three games of the season. Now next weekend is going to obviously be a really tough test. One of the best teams, not only in WCHA, but in the country in Wisconsin, it, always a very, very good club. The one that I um, kind of wanted to pinpoint here that I think that maybe goes under the radar a little bit and finally got on the board, I think early. And that's uh, um, McKenna Westlow. 
And we, of course, have had the chance to sit down with um, McKenna. Uh, did, what did you notice from her as far as her game is concerned? She's someone who really was, you know, she was a transfer from Ohio State. She was battling an injury for a particular season. She was kind of up and down the lineup and trying to find her way where she's going to slot the lineup. And now as she's gotten older, moving into her senior year, uh, is this maybe finally the, the coming out party per se for this player and the ability that she has on the ice? Well, it's one game, right? So, you know, and just like it, you know, these other players we talk about, this is a very small sample size. But uh, watching McKenna Westlow, I do think uh, there has been some maturity to her game, at least when I saw on the back end. Um, looks a lot more composed. It looks like she's not just trying to force pucks through uh, just to, you know, just to make a play with it. Um, I think she's actually taking a look, her head is up and she's actually reading the play. She's looking for her best passing option, uh, whether it's in the D zone, um, on the power play, she was actually quarterback in the power play a few times and, you know, was definitely trying to get, you know, pucks through, um, you can see she's trying to read the lanes. And also she knew that she had her two outlets on both of her sides on the umbrella setup, wasn't trying to force anything. So uh, I think she really has slowed the game down mentally, um, at least from what I saw the last two games. And that's huge for a defensive. If you can slow things down, just feel comfortable, not feel like you're rushing any play. Um, you're going to, you know, have a better chance than not uh, of uh, making something happen in a positive way for your team. So uh, again, small sample size, but I thought she actually looked pretty good this weekend. Yeah. A couple more questions about this weekend. Uh, and of course the previous weekend too, I, how exciting is it for this group? Finally, Emma Paluzny and Sonia Hola. Of course, we know Emma Paluzny, what she brings to the table. She's got a 9.38 save percentage right now, a 9.33 for Sonia Hola. And both of them essentially at two goals against average, they've each allowed two goals uh, total throughout the three games. What does Emma Paluzny bring to the table that we've talked about so much? And is Sonia Hola really going to be the goaltender of the future? Do you think Steve McDonald actually moves with a 1A, 1B tandem if Sonia Hola plays as well as she is? I think you will see a one A one B tandem actually with the two, uh, and it's it's not a knock on either goaltender. It's it's almost you know I have a good problem of goaltenders Noah, and mm -hmm. you know I don't want one to sit on the bench per se and you know gather dust because uh, you know he's also got Carly Reese that he could always go to as well. But I do think you're going to see a one A one B tandem with those two just because they're both solid goaltenders, um, and it kind of gives them a little bit of a time to breathe and you know to you know, to, to make sure you're still healthy. Um, you know, we, we see coaches handle this differently, right? You know, St. Cloud, you could start any one of the three goaltenders in Renna, Caster, or Lamru. Again, Lamru saw some action in last night's contest. And it's one of those where some coaches like to just roll with their, their, their top gun person, even though I think we can all sit here and say that maybe that difference between Caster, Lamru, and Renick isn't maybe that much. And I don't, I think you're seeing that here with Ahola and, um, and Emma Paluzny. They're very, very solid goaltending. And, you know, I think for him and because the way he wants to coach, he's going to roll with a 1A, 1B tandem. And, you know, it's a good problem to have. So, yeah, Joey Lammer looked very good last night as well, too. But we'll get to that in just a second. The last question I have before we preview a little bit about what Wisconsin has in store for them. Uh, and maybe you have some insider information. Maybe you don't. I noticed that uh, one of the top scorers of the past couple of years, Clara Hamlerova, is not uh, in the stat sheet. Can you kind of give us a little bit of information on that? Yep. She was out this weekend with a lower body injury. Um, that's all. I know I'm not sure how uh, what the timeline would be for Clara because uh, yeah if, and I think maybe that makes this women's team's uh, performance this weekend even more impressive when you arguably have one of your best playmakers that um, isn't in the lineup you're still able to provide that offensive spark um, that they did so if they can get her back in lineup and 
you know, keep everybody else rolling. That's just, you know, added pressure, added uh, offensive production you can get out of your top six. And um, there's no question we've been waiting for a little bit more of that consistency offensively with this squad. And, uh, you know, with her back and lip, there's no question it could do that. Moving ahead to Wisconsin, their first WCHA test, to put it in comparison, if I'm not mistaken, I think the goal margin was plus 17 for Wisconsin against Lindenwood, 18-1. to 1, They outscored the Lions the weekend previous before the Huskies hosted Lindenwood this past couple of days. Uh, when you think about Wisconsin, the big bad foe, if you, so to speak, in the WCHA, for me, I think the Huskies have to put all that out the window. And really, regardless of the outcome, they have to focus on what they're doing right to get better, carry that momentum of what they've done through Bemidji state through Lindenwood and focus on how they can stick to their game and stick to their structure. We've seen games in the past where this Husky squad that, you know, maybe even wasn't as strong as this group has taken Wisconsin to a one goal game in the latter stages of a game. I think the piece that has to be so important for them next weekend is that consistency piece. And just understanding that the score might end up being five to nothing one way or the other. But are we doing the little things right that are going to prepare us to be better every night than WCHA? Because they're on a three-game win streak. They've got a little bit of momentum. They've gotten a start in St. Cloud State women's hockey that maybe hasn't really happened for them in quite a while. You know, we don't know what the result is going to be against a very good hockey team. But I think if you think about Wisconsin as this upper echelon team, you've almost kind of put yourself in a difficult position before you've even stepped on the ice. I think for this group, it's got to be, you know, focused on what can we do better every night and the result is going to take care of itself one way or the other. Nick, what are your keys to Wisconsin next weekend in the first WCHA action of the year? Uh, you know, you got, like you said, you got to stick to your game plan um, and you got to have confidence, but you got to also know that, you know, you're going to have to bring it, you know, as we know, offense, you know, the offense for Wisconsin is their bread and butter. They are loaded. Um, you know, they almost use, you know, an NHL style offensive scheme, you know, you know, in the zone by, you know, those weak side Ds, they, they, they drift down to give you that sort of that fourth passing option and the timing plays that they use. I mean, they're executed just flawlessly. I mean, they're so well coached again, you know, we can talk about Mark Johnson for hours and what he's contributed to the game of hockey, both as a player and as a coach, but um, it's a very well oiled machine. Now, as you mentioned though, Noah, they have played them tough in the past and you know, you have to, you want to take that to a little bit of a, you know, a, a grain or, you know, say we've hung with them, but again, it's a brand new game. You have to, you know, everything that's in the past is done. You have to look at it as a challenge. And I kind of like the fact that the Huskies are getting this stuff challenged right away. Um, you know, technically two and Oka's that first one against Bemidji yep. was an exhibition game. Um, but, you know, again, against, you know, arguably the best team in the WCHA and in the entire country, um, I think, you know, coming off of a sweep, uh, to Lindenwood, uh, you're rolling and they're feeling good about yourself. Uh, it's going to be tough again in their building. Uh, but again, you have to look at it as being confident in what you can do there. The defensive structure will have to be there if they can block shots. That's what kind of helped them in years past is being able to get in front of, especially uh, shots coming from the point, uh, but also not being careful to overplay the defense right again, because they'd like to, you know, go up and down and really kind of get involved in the offense. And that's sort of maybe where a weak spot you can expose in Wisconsin is that they're being so aggressive. If you can catch them in that transition, take away that middle of the ice, uh, you can make a turnover and possibly an odd uh, man rush the other way. So um, the, the recipe is there. And again, and like you said, you have to execute it and you have to, um, you have to execute it every shift or else again, Wisconsin the team where one mistake and, you know, going back to the last time Wisconsin did beat the, uh, the Huskies by one, I think we were both in the building for that one. 
uh, a tough turnover behind the net and they made the Huskies pay. And it was what a minute or two left in the hockey game. It, yeah, was, minutes it was really, really tough. Um, but that's just how dangerous this Wisconsin team can be. So you have to limit mistakes, make sure you're not getting in the penalty box uh, and you got a chance to win. Yeah. And we've talked about that too. They've hung with teams like Wisconsin and Minnesota, but a lot of times it's been, they hang with them one night and then the next night they're not able to replicate that success. So that's the other piece too, is can you have a full 60 minutes and essentially a full 120 minutes over the course of a weekend where almost 120 are extremely consistent and you're playing Huskies hockey the way that you wanted to and the way that you did the past two weekends. Uh, we're going to move over to some trivia here and then we'll get into some men's hockey here because the trivia question I think relates very well. St. Cloud State men's hockey. Uh, we had the end of season two of trivia just because it was actually supposed to be slated for a couple weekends. It was actually October 25th. I wasn't lying to you, but our winner, but statistically would already win anyway. So we figured why not end it at the start of the hockey season here and start season three next weekend. So the end of season two, the last question, St. Cloud State men's hockey hosts St. Thomas in their first division one game. Well, the Huskies have been division one since 1987. What is the Huskies all-time record in the 34 season openers since they moved to division one? I suppose now 35, we could throw that one in there. Ooh. I'm sure it was tough early on. It Let's was tough go. early on. Yeah. Mm, probably it's probably close to 500. Let's go 18, 16, and one. So the exhibition schedule has really helped the Huskies, especially if they moved through the latter half. So it was pretty tight. I think uh, Tanner had said now, I guess it would be, um, if you take out the exhibition games per se, it would now after last night's win be 17, 15 and like two, but the overall record right now is 23, um, 23. I have 23, 10 and two. So I don't know where he got 15 from, but nonetheless, <laughs> Um, yeah, aren't you the stats guy? How come you're not just, say, you know, this is second nature? What the heck is Yeah, this? nonetheless, though, 23 10 and 2 is what I have for the Huskies after last night's win. So, uh, and you talk about in the latter stages, it was actually they were about 500 until about 2000 or so. Then they had a stretch of about a year or two, or like or three years or something like that, where they dropped all three of those games and it wasn't looking good. And then once you got to about 2009, 2010, that's where they really started to gain traction. I think they've only lost. Um, like once or twice since 2010 in the, in the opener for them in the season. So the Huskies continuing that trend last night. Um, and, and of course, 35th opener was last night in season three for trivia starts next week. As we look at the final standings, October 2nd, uh, Tinner Heath, he takes the win nine wins for him on the season fight. The pants had four Caleb Peabody had four and we had six others that um, all had a question correct in that one. So congratulations to Tinner Heath. Uh, we'll have to figure out if he gets a prize or something. He pretty much has everything that we <laughs> have to offer him already. So we'll have to figure out if we can find something there. Um, we'd get him a Jersey because we know he likes jerseys, but uh, <laughs> I don't know if he has any room in his closet. We don't have a Austin's warming house podcast Jersey. So I think he's got all the jerseys we could find too, honestly. So, yeah. But speaking of jerseys, it was nice to see men's hockey back in action in, the, in their sweaters. Um, a hockey all across the country. Kind of interesting to look at the scoreboard there. North Dakota taking a victory over, over, over Bemidji by a score of two to one. The big one, I think, that a lot of Huskies fans are watching Mankato, a two to nothing finish against UMass uh, in what. Uh, I mean, I think it's safe to say arguably could have been the national championship game if one bounce had gone the other way against the Huskies. But St. Cloud taking care of business um, in <laughs> murderous fashion, so to speak, 12-2 uh, to two the final score against St. Thomas. Nick, we kind of talked about 
in in kind of previews leading up to this game that we didn't believe the spread was going to be as big as it was. The shot charts, uh, 39 to 32 in favor of St. Cloud State. Um, of course, um, St. Thomas starting to kind of finally push the issue a little bit more at the tail end of that hockey game. Um, were you a little bit surprised at the spread? Do you think, I know this is looking forward, do you think that St. Thomas is going to look a little different tonight on Sunday? I mean, what were your first impressions of a game that we really didn't know what to expect? Yeah, I mean, you know, I I know we're going to get blasted all over uh, Twitter for this because, you know, the, everybody was looking for that Gordon Biden Bay 12 to 1, you know, kind of margin yeah. of victory um, for a new program. You know, and I think there's a misinterpretation. I think I want to clarify, you know, what, you know it's, it wasn't us underestimating St. Cloud is that we did not want to underestimate um, St. Thomas yeah. you know, more than anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, it, I, you know, it's one of those where this was the trial by fire. And uh, that fire was a wildfire, holy buckets. Um, and it's, it's weird because, you know, 13 of the players on their roster were, you know, had played division one hockey before, but that also means a, a good chunk of them have not, they were division three players. Um, and, uh, you know, on our segments last night for Fox nine plus uh, Jim had mentioned, he talked to Rico about uh, how he wanted to sort of construct the team. And he had mentioned, you know, there's going to be, I constructed it basically to have growing pains built in. Um, he could have easily, especially with the transfer portal that it was uh, for prior to the season with COVID and, you know, the extra year of eligibility for folks, he could have easily loaded this team with grad transfers and said, here we go. No, uh, he wanted to, you know, get some of those players that have been on this squad a chance to, to prove at the D1 level. Um, and the only way you do that is you get him on the ice. And let's be honest, um, if St. Thomas is playing Bemidji, if St. Thomas is playing uh, Duluth, or maybe not the number two team in the country right now, is the spread this big? Probably not. So it's, it's, it looks worse than really what it is, honestly. Um, but even I was surprised. Um, Peter Tomei, um, mm-hmm. who came from North Dakota, um, you know, I don't really think he had much he can do this. Day. The defensive frame was, was tough. Um, a lot of him getting hung out to dry, uh, plenty of defensive breakdowns in the zone. And it was just, it was a one versus the goalie. Most of the, the shots that went in. Um, and again, just, you could tell that St. Thomas, especially with the amount of times that they were, um, creating stick infractions, they were chasing this game. They were definitely not used to the, the speed, uh, the skill and more so just the, the, the pace of the game. Right. So, um, you know, it will look different tonight. No question. Cause now that they've, they've tasted it, they've, you know, got a t- uh, experience of it. No question for Rico. Um, you know, he's always wanted to keep it simple. Um, you know, especially during this process, you know, if I'm, if I'm him, I'm just saying, you know what guys stay out of the box. You know, Huskies had seven power play goals last night, seven, they went seven for 10. That's ridiculous. Right. Yeah. So if you can get out of the box a little bit, you know, you can try to keep that margin a little bit. I still think, uh, you know, now that this margin is there, it might be repeated, although it's going to be, a, you know, an NHL rink. Um, so the, the ice dimensions will be a little bit different. It's technically a St. Thomas home game. Uh, but I think a lot of Huskies fans are making the trip down to St. Paul. And if you haven't, you should. Um, so we'll see. Um, I, I still think that the offensive firepower for St. Thomas is too much to handle. Um, but, you know, I got to see what uh, Rico makes as far as adjustments for this game coming up now that the players have uh, had their first taste of D1 hockey. Yeah. Do you think that that adjustment is going to be made? I mean, you, you look at, you look at that shot piece too. And I think if you start, if you start with the piece of trying to keep them out of the box, uh, if you're St. Thomas staying out of the penalty box is step number one, because uh, regardless of who you play, if you give up 10 penalties, that it, it just, it puts you on the back foot. You think about that. That's, that's an entire period, so to speak of, uh, 
um, <laughs> shorthanded advantage, if you will. So that's obviously a difficult piece there. Do you think that the result might look a little bit tighter tonight as opposed to, as opposed to what we saw in game number one? I think so. Um, you know, but if and this is where I think the coaching staff, if I'm Brett Larson, the coaching staff, this is where maybe I worry more than the players do is, you know, after a, a victory like this, you worry about players not really being mentally sharp for game number two. Right. Um, you know, you, you, you just worry that maybe things slow down or you, you, you mentally think, you know, this is going to be a write-off game. So, you know, I'm curious to see what the message is from the coaching staff. So that way they prevent um, that sort of, I don't want to call it a letdown, but, you know, just sort of, uh, you know, not being ready for this game. Because you know that St. Thomas, again, you know, how many chips would you have on your shoulder, you know, as a player if you just got crushed 12 to 2? I mean, they're going to, I mean, they're going to be wanting to come out and try to redeem themselves. So it's, it's no question. Again, you don't score 12 goals, you know, easily. Um, again, a lot of things went the Huskies way. Again, as you mentioned, and we mentioned prior, 10 penalties does help the Huskies. I mean, seven of those were power play goals. It could have been 13 to two if a goal from Luke Jaycox wasn't taken off the board um, in the third period. So it even could have been technically worse. But um, again, a lot of things you could fix from Rico as far as defensively is concerned. And, you know, again, offensively, the Huskies will still be there. Um, it'll be curious to see what the, how the, how this game plays on the smaller ice sheet. So a couple of players that I wanted to ask about, and we're going to start with some veteran players, Kevin Fitzgerald, a guy that we didn't even know until the start of essentially, or the end of last season that we didn't even think he would be back in a St. Cloud State sweater pacing the team right now with four points. Um, what did you think about his performance? Is he, is he going to be a really pivotal piece of this group moving forward? Well, what's that? That's the question who isn't, you know, I, I think at the end of it, you know, Fitzgerald and these veteran pieces that came back, Brodzinski looked really good. He started off on the fourth line. Um, he was a game time decision when we interviewed Brett Larson on Tuesday, um, you know, thought maybe, you know, kind of get him welcomed into college hockey, uh, you know, after the, the leg surgery, see how he looks. And he was quickly moved to the top line. Uh, I thought some henches actually looked really, really good. Um, this team came out and, you know, for, I think, there's times even in the 1819, right? When we had that, that talented team, there were times where you go, why doesn't this team assert themselves? They were out and they were asserting themselves in this game. So um, Spencer Meyer looked really good. Uh, Nick Perbix looked good. I mean, if you go up and down with Seamus Donahue, mind you, for those who didn't watch, who did watch the game or didn't, Seamus Donahue and the Nick Perbix pairing, that was, that was split apart. Um, they have Perbix and uh, Jack Peart playing together with Donahue. Um, and uh, Spencer Meyer, I think, was his partner. Uh, yeah, uh, and, and of course, we, we had asked Brett about that uh, about that pairing that was so strong in Perbix and Donahue, and you could kind of see it on his face where he kind of had this wry little chuckle, and he was like, huh, you guys have no idea that <laughs> we just split these guys up. <laughs> right, um, and then Trey Ball and Bushy again leading the, the bottom three. So you have, you know, offensive mobility. I mean, heck, even Bushy got a goal last night, his second ever collegiate goal again. Not you know known as a guy that puts points on the board, but uh, definitely more that just you know the big body in the back end that's going to keep it the outside and make life a living. You know what uh, to get to the front of the net, you know, in front of David Rennick. But no, I, there really isn't one player you can pick out. Honestly, there is a lot of great performances. Um, it's easy to say that in a twelve to two victory, honestly. Um, but you know, after they uh, get uh, out of this weekend, uh, things start ramping up pretty quick. So uh, they'll head right down to Mankato and with Mankato taking down number one UMass, at least game one. And if they were able to take care of this game two, 
Um, even if it's a split, I think St. Cloud does move into the number one spots. Um, although I think it's going to be a little bit goofy in my opinion, because the score, I mean, people are going to look at the score and say all 12 to, uh, but I think they, I hope that they realize it was, you know, first division one program type thing. So could be something um, I've always been one that says, you know, there's always that number one seated curse. And maybe that's just me being superstitious, but you know, cause you just, you always, as a team, I think even as a coaching staff, you kind of want something to continue to look up to, um, you know, being second or third is never a bad thing. Uh, but I also think sometimes being the number one, uh, sometimes it kind of gets in your head and, and the balloon starts to grow. So we'll see how the Huskies handle it. That indeed happens, but uh, you know, they're, uh, you could call it uh, their level of play is going to start to increase here as we even get into next week. Yeah, and important, like what you had talked about previously, to not have any overlook on the game tonight as well, too. Peter, right. Peter told me if he's back in net, you know, he could have a very good hockey game. He's a goaltender who's played many games at the Division One level, and he can stop pucks when he's on. When he's on, he's on. There's a reason he played at the University of North Dakota. So there's there's that piece, and we could see a very different St. Thomas team. So you got to make sure that your first five minutes, as always, are imperative, and you're taking care of business early. Uh, not surprised, Chase Brand, Zach Wakabi, Yami Kranala. <laughs> when have they ever gotten in the score sheet before? For excited to see them. There was one player I did want to ask, um, and that's Andre Trayball. There's a guy that we really, uh, I think, kind of goes under the radar. He's more of that offensive defenseman. Do you think a game like this, like you mentioned, everybody had a, a great game, so to speak, but do you think getting a couple points on the board early is going to do something for his confidence and maybe help him take that next step as a co- collegiate hockey player? Uh, yes and no. And the reason why I say both is, you know, Andre's, you know, Andre's sort of, you know, crutch, if you want to call it, has always been the sort of the, you know, picking and choosing when to be offensive. Right. And so I think, again, against St. Thomas, and again, this is no disrespect to, to St. Thomas, but, you know, they're just a team that is just dipping their toes in division one. It's, it's, it's a little bit easier to execute some of those things offensively against a team that just obviously had no idea what to expect from the Huskies coming out. Um, so I think even some mistakes that he could have made were probably you know, kind of overshadowed, but, you know, does it get confidence? Sure. But you'd also hope that it doesn't give him the mental green light to, to do it more often or in, in the times where he shouldn't. Right. I think that's the big question with offensive defensemen is, you know, can you read the play and pick when is an appropriate time to go up and be offensive versus, you know, when's the right time to lay back and be, you know, defensive minded. So um, he, again, on the third pairing, uh, with Bushy, that probably helps them actually quite a bit. So that way, you know, Bushy's always going to be back there. He's going to always be defense first. He's more of that true defensive defenseman. So maybe just that pairing would allow him to maybe make those decisions and not get burned for it per se. So we'll have to see. Um, but, you know, again, confidence for any hockey player, especially in college, is, is always good. Um, so you kind of hope it translates, but you also hope it doesn't give him too much confidence. So that way, again, um, you're not thinking about the play instead of just reacting. Absolutely. Well, best of luck to the St. Cloud State Huskies tonight, as well as next weekend as they move on and get their season rolling. And then the women's team as well, facing Wisconsin next weekend. Excited to see some WCHA action come back into the fold. We've only got about two or three minutes before we head on to our extra ice session, so to speak. But Nick, I wanted to get your thoughts on this. We mentioned it in in the open. And that was, of course, uh, the segment of racism in the UHL. Um, What were your first impressions when the suspension was handed out? Not only, as you mentioned, a suspension, but one that you could pay your way out of almost over half of it. Um, I, it's just, in my opinion, it's just an egregious misrepresentation of how to handle racism by a hockey league. Um, in my opinion, what do you think? Well, I think, you know, here, obviously in the U S you know, I think the immediate reaction is what, you know, WTF, um, yeah. you know, that's, you know, for lightly said, 
Um, it's, it's absolutely, you know, it's despicable, honestly. Um, now, can we have the argument of, you know, what's, well, how do I phrase this right? Actually, let me, let me restart that if you don't mind. Um, for those who want to give me the argument that Eastern Europe countries, that this is kind of how they are and there's that culture there, get out of my face, honestly. Yeah. Um, it's, it's unacceptable no matter which way you draw it. And I think what makes this so egregious too, Noah, is the fact that there's a suspension that, hey, if you pay me a fine, we'll take away half of it. It's like the racism part to this like doesn't even matter. More so when a general manager yeah. of the league speaks out about it and is critical of, you know, the sort of the way this has been handled. And he gets tossed by the governing body above that league, uh, the Korean Hockey Federation. It, it shows you how much more progress needs to be made on this front worldwide, right? It's, you know, it, it really, you know, it breaks your heart because it's, you know, that player has vowed to never play another game in the league. And, you know, there's been talk coming out of, uh, out of Canada um, with some of the information that um, they want the double IHF. So you talk about the ultra governing body of Ataiki, right. To step in and see if they can't find a new home for the, for the victim in this case, right. Uh, can yeah. they get him into another league so he can play the game of hockey? Um, because at the end of the day, he's the real victim here. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and we can talk about, uh, you know, the way that things are for the UHL, for the UHF, their governing body, the, uh, the Ukrainian Hockey Federation. At the end of it, what needs to be fixed is where can we put this this gentleman to play hockey? And I think that's, I, I would agree with that, that step if it's taken. And I really do hope that whether the IHF or somebody else makes that move, that it happens and whether it's, you know, the SHL, Swedish League, you know, wherever. I yeah, want and him to... And and don't forget, so 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 Jalen Smerick is his name, and, and he's a, he's played he's played in the AHL before, so it's not like he's a player that you know is has kind of been on the cusp, looking up, so to speak. I mean, he's he's been at the second highest level in professional hockey, so I mean, he's a good hockey player. Um, you know, I don't think he's he. I think he's fairly young too. I mean, he's still got a little bit of jump to him. Uh, the piece that, and of course, I'm an empathetic human being. I always want people to get better. I under you know. My thought is, at least for for Andre Deniskin is the is the um the the aggressor in this situation, if you will. My thought is, uh, you got to give him at least a year. You got to give him at least a year ban and some form of like, you know, racial, you know, training that sort of thing. Something something along the lines of trying to make him a better person and understand how to be better. Um, even, you know, I would, if they would have banned him from the league, I would have said, okay, that's totally fine too. I mean, I wouldn't have been opposed to that, but 13 games, 13 games over the course of a season in professional hockey is so to speak, a cup of coffee. If you will, we've seen players who have had, um, and Jalen said this himself, we've seen players get injured or injure people in hockey related instances that have gotten suspensions that have been longer than that for their actions on the ice or from the injury that results from an action. So, it's, it's laughable. It's laughable that it's that short. And the fact that it can be even shorter if he has enough money to pay his way out. Um, you know, I, I mean, the principle Noah, right. It's yeah. the fact that there is the ability to make, to make a payment, to reduce your suspension in yeah. a, in the violation that it is. Right. Um, but let's be realistic. There's, you know, if, what, if this is the, if this is the standard from the UHL over there, it's certainly, uh, and, it, and it pains me to say this because, you know, you, 
you you hope that you're wrong, but if that's the precedent, you, there's there's a very tall mountain to climb. Um, at the same time, you know, there's also been some criticism of the IHF not stop, you know, double IHF not stepping in. And, you know, there was talk on the Steve Dangle podcast um, you know, up in Canada about, you know, they haven't really jumped in yet because, they, you know, the thought was they were hoping that these, you know, governing bodies would, even after they made these original decisions, maybe would have it some time to reflect and maybe make the right call and maybe adjust or maybe say, hey, you know, yeah, this is, we're, we're making, we're going to do the right thing here. They haven't. So I kind of wish the WHF now does get involved because there is no indication that these things are going to change. Um, and again, you know, we can debate what the right punishment is. Is it a ban? Is it a year suspension? Uh, you know, that's up for debate. I'm not sure what the right answer is, yeah. honestly, or in some sensitivity training. I, I think that's all up for discussion. Um, but again, you know, the, the number one priority for me is, you know, let's get this hockey player who is a darn good hockey player. Let's get him onto a team that he can continue to play. So that way he can live out his dream. That's my first concern. Yeah. And do it in an environment that's, you know, fun and safe to play into. I think that's, as you, as you, as you've alluded to, that's obviously the piece that's most imperative and everyone wants to play the game of hockey. I want to play the game of hockey and have fun with my friends too, and not have to worry about things like that getting in the way because hockey is hard enough as it is just on the ice in general. So um, wishing everybody the best of luck, of course, and um, use your head, people use your head, do the right thing, be better be good people. <laughs> but nonetheless, we're going to move over to our extra ice session. We're going to talk about the Minnesota wild and um, our impressions, so to speak of their training camp roster. And once again, welcome in to the extra ice session. Noah Grant alongside Nick Max and Nick, the Minnesota wild. Uh, we tried to project their lineup about a month ago and I just pulled up what we kind of had, you know, and you and I kind of went back and forth a little bit, there's a particular player in this group that was not on any of our lists, so to speak. Um, do you know who that player might be? And does that Adam, player Adam have Beckman maybe? Yeah. And does that player have a chance to be a shoe in over Marco Rossi and Matt Boldy in this lineup? I don't know if it's that, that simple Noah, because you know, when you, when you're in this position to make an NHL roster, right. Um, I don't know if you have, I don't know if you can compare it because yeah, he's looked good, but at, at the end of it, um, is there shots? Yeah, there is absolutely shots. And, you know, the big question is going to be for, for Beckman, who has absolutely paid his dues in the American hockey league. There's no question about it. You know, what's best for his development, what's best for the team. Oof, it's it's going to be tough, but I do think he's got a solid chance. I think, Matt Boldy is a lock. There's no question about it. Marco Rossi, to me, as much as I said in weeks back, I think he's in. I'm still kind of torn on what the organization will ultimately decide to do with him. Um, but I think Beckman does have a serious chance here. Um, and I think yeah. he, he will end up getting some serious playing time with the squad. Um, it just seems that when he plays, he's in the right spots. Um, he's making the right plays. He, he's, he's, uh, you know, he's playing the right game with the right speed. So he's not, you know, trailing the game per se. Um, and he's putting points on the board. So, you know, when you're contributing, uh, that means you're doing some things right, you know? So, um, I don't know if it's a shoe in over other players, but I do think more individually, he's making a very strong case for the wild to keep him up in the big boy club and, you know, guarantees it himself. And, you know, a lot of GMs is, you know, give me a reason to keep you here. And right now, Adam Beckman, Throughout the preseason, throughout the uh, training camp, he's giving Garrett and the other brass 
plenty of reasons to keep him up with a big squad. So I think he does have a legit shot here. Yeah, and Minnesota, I mean, what more could you ask for having a prospect that, you know, you hope that he was going to be good, but essentially at this point kind of overdeveloping, so to speak. And you heard Marcus Lino talk about it, how, you know, his maturity beyond his years, the way that he approaches the game, the way that he interacts with players, the players love him on and off the ice. And I think that speaks volumes too, where you, if you have a player who, you know, and obviously we don't know the dynamic of the locker room, but if you have a player like Marco Rossi, who's maybe, you know, kind of kind of in between with his play on the ice and maybe, you know, isn't that vocal in the locker room when you have another guy that, you know, is a little more vocal, you know, kind of gels a little bit more with the players, you know, it kind of makes the decision potentially sway one way or the other. Everything you do in that realm, there is a spotlight on you at every moment. If you're a young player at that age, um, I think he's got a legitimate chance to, if anything, to see how he can handle some NHL action here. Cause I believe he's still is he's, he's 20 years old. So he's still within the realm of having that 10 game stint and then not having to burn a year of his contract, so to speak, because um, they can still send him down. I, I kind of wanted to go through a little bit. Uh, really the question marks have been more on the forward side, although defensively, I think uh, uh, John Merrill has looked very, very good um, so far. Um, Jordy Kulikov. Yes, he has. Um, so that'll be kind of a, it's, a, it's good to have that kind of rotation. Of course, Jordy Ben, the other name that would be in there too, seeing those guys kind of vie for those, uh, that bottom two pairing, if you will, starting with the forward group, um, Kirill Kaprizov, I got to make a guess. He's probably going to make the roster, Nick, just a thought. Um, he's a British player. <laughs> we'll see. Um, Eric Snack, Zuccarello, um, Marcus Polino, um, Nico Sturm, Kevin Fiala, um, Nick Bukestad, Ryan Hartman. Um, those are the guys that I kind of have as locks. Jordan Greenway is another one. I know his illness was very uh, quote unquote ill-timed, if you will. Is he a guy that might be a question mark to be in a Minnesota wild sweater at all, depending on how things go throughout the first 20 games of the year? Is he a guy that he, maybe he, does he actually have the most pressure out of anybody on this Minnesota wild group right now? Uh, he might. Now, you know, as you know, uh, uh, Noah, every NHL player has a lot of pressure on them because every night your spot can be taken from you. Yeah. Um, but I think as far as for Jordan Greenway, you know, I think he there are times last year, I think we saw him start to sort of come out of his own a little bit. But then we saw, you know, kind of some regression, too. It was it was a very up and down performance wise for for Jordan Greenway. And the, the issue with Greenway is. He's a type of body that Minnesota doesn't have enough of. He's six foot six and he's he's a big he's a big boy. So it's it's one of those where you you kind of know what you get with them a little bit. Um, the question is, you know, if he uses his size well, which I think at times he uses very well, where he, he's he's blocking down, he, he's creating puck possession, um, he shields the puck well, and he's able to you know get that puck into scoring areas. If he does that, he'll be fine. Now, if he is invisible especially offensively and he's his size is just i'm just a six foot six guy and i'm not really using it to create an advantage over my opponents uh he yeah absolutely i think he could be a player where the wild brass looks at and goes he's replaceable um even though and it's really in my opinion now marcus felino plays that hard nosed game uh jordan greenway is a little bit more you know has got more skill to his game and i think that's kind of where the wild brass really want to see that, you know, come out and be more consistent is that you got the skill you've, you've, you've got, you know, some tools there, but you got to put them all together for us every night. And um, so, yeah, there's some pressure on him, but uh, again, for his size and he skates well for his size too. Um, to me, he would be invaluable for a deep playoff run. You do need sides, especially uh, in that third, maybe fourth, maybe second uh, pairing there for, 
for your offense. And so I don't know, it, it would be tough for me to see him go, um, especially with what he can bring in the intangibles that you just can't teach and you can't grow. Yeah, he's also still a young hockey player. That's the other piece that we have to remember, too. I think the question mark is you're coming up in a contract year here, and uh, you're kind of hoping that he finds a way to make a case, you know, show a general manager that he deserves to be on this squad, deserves to be here. Um, we're about 12 days away from opening night. Uh, October 15th against Anaheim is opening night. The last exhibition game, so to speak, is October 9th against Chicago here. So that's kind of our last. We're dipping our toes in the final moments, final week of uh, the exhibition games before we get ready for opening night here. That was nine forwards that we have in this group number 10 on this list is victor rask a player that i know a lot of the minnesota wild faithful uh for lack of a better term don't particularly care for um but it seems like this coaching staff uh, on the inside track likes victor rask a lot more than the state of minnesota does um let's just say for example that the top nine that we have mentioned including jordan greenway are players that are going to stick you've got victor rask matt boldy marco rossi adam beckman maybe Connor DeWar, Kyle Rao, kind of rounding out that top five, you know, players that you think are going to make that jump. What is the best situation with, with those players and Bill Guerin, you know, what is the best combination? Do you send Marco Rossi down? If he's maybe needs a little bit more development, who do you have um, in those spots that are going to fill those last three forward spots for the Minnesota wild? Oh, that's tough. Um, and again, for, for Marco Rossi, you know, I, I, it kind of depends on how careful they want to be with them, right? Yeah. Um, I think that's sort of the, the big one. Uh, Kyle Rowell, I think, does uh, kind of go back to the minors. I think he's, he's definitely kind of a call-up type uh, type player. Uh, you know, Nico Sturm is obviously going to be Brandon Duheim, I think, is going to be uh, kind of in the call-up position. Um, for Victor Rask, you know, I kind of feel like this year – He's going to be, you know, he, he, I think he actually could go up and down this lineup quite a bit, especially if there's injuries. That's that's the one thing with Victor Rask is we know last year he was he was playing in the spot there. I think almost every single other NHL coach or slash GM would probably not put him in, but they had to. That's the thing is the Wild had to put him in those spots. So if Rossi isn't ready or they don't feel like he is ready, I think the best thing to do would be to send him down to get him playing time. He's not going to learn anything by sitting in the press box. You just can't. There's just nothing you can do about that. So that means Victor Rask could easily go from a fourth-line center all the way up to second, maybe third. He's going to go up there. The good news about that is whether you hate the guy or not, he's a utilitarian player. And he's yes, never, he is. And the other thing is he has complained once. For all the flight that he's getting, he has never been the one – that has, you know, cried, you know, foul about this opportunity. So um, I think he, Victor Rask ended up being a very important player for this wild, this wild roster, you know, God forbid, you know, nobody gets seriously injured, but as you know, pro sports, especially hockey, collision sport, those are bound to happen. So you almost have to feel not lucky, but grateful that you have a guy that can, you can kind of slide up and down the lineup can you know play with different players and be you know it can be serviceable that's that's what you that's what you hope to see so yeah. uh, uh it, it, it's going to be interesting yeah and i i actually think you had mentioned kyle Rao. i think kyle Rao is a guy that actually i think he stays with the big club i don't know that he plays but he's a guy that i think is one of those players that can sit in the press box for five games and then come in and be a factor in a hockey game or at least do the job he has to do versus you talked about some of these younger players, you know, you don't want Matt Boldy sitting in the press box and not playing any hockey. I mean, you want, you want players like that versus Kyle Rowe. Kyle Rowe knows where he sits in an NHL lineup. He's not going to be a first line left winger. He's not going to be potentially a top six player. He knows where his role is going to be. He's this little scrappy, 
tiny forward that's going to fill in a lineup. Um, I think he might be a black ace, so to speak, and be a player that might stay with the big club, at least to start and be maybe a scratch or kind of jump in, in, in between there as well. Um, the question mark too, like you mentioned, you've got Matt Boldy who can play the center position. Marco Ross, who can play the center position. Adam Beckman can kind of go between both. Then you've got Victor Rask, um, Nico Sturm, Jewel Erickson Eck. And then I suppose you could throw Ryan Hartman or Nick Bustad in there, but Erickson Eck, I think right now, I think it's safe to say is the number one center for this team right now. Number two, we've seen um, our pal Seth Topol make the case that maybe Nico Sturm could slot up in that top six there. Do you think Nico Sturm is a player that goes in there? Who do you truly, if you, if you had to pick right now, who is the number two center for the Minnesota Wild? Do you throw Matt Boldy in there? Is Marco Rossi ready for the jump? Does Adam Beckman get a shot? I mean, is there a guy that you feel could maybe maybe look good on a line with, for example, let's say Kevin Fiala and Ryan Hartman? So if the management is as high on Marco Rossi as we are, that's his spot. There's no question about it. He's the most skilled. He's the, you know, he's the, he's, He's the right person for that role. Now, that's why I'm sitting here doing a podcast, and that's why I'm not a GM of a hockey team. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, if you take Rossi out, let's say Rossi isn't ready, or at least is viewed to be not ready, and he's in the AHL, I'm going to throw one out there to you. That's Victor Rask. Okay. I hate to say it is Victor Rask. And here's why. Nico Sturm, I love him to death. Um, I'm not sure I like him as a, you know, as a second-line center. Um, Ryan Hartman was not good at center last year. I think he's definitely more on the wing. Um, same with Matt Boldy. Matt, I know Matt Boldy has played center, but I feel like for his talents, we need him on the wing. Um, I, so I don't, I'm, just, I'm not sure if the center position is where he would best contribute offensively. So, yeah, you have some players that have done both. But again, when you get to the NHL level, you need a bona fide center, guys who can win draws, who know how to be, you know, to be defensively too. And so that's the part that's tough, Vic, you know, <clears throat> It, to me, it comes down to those two. It's either Victor or it's Marco. Yeah. Marco's not and, ready. It's Victor Rask. And then you you flip that piece. You know, does Nico Sturm become a third line center? And then maybe you know Adam Beckman, Matt Boldy. Do you want to put Matt Boldy on the wing in that bottom six? Do you want him up in the top six? I mean, where do you where do you see Matt Boldy if he cracks the squad? I, I don't think he's a fourth line guy. I don't think you want to put him down there. No. Um, is he a second line or third line guy in your opinion? I think it started in the third, you know, because I just, he plays sort of that, you know, below the goal line in front of that sort of style where, you know, it's a lot of, you know, space and timing. And, you know, he, again, he can, he's really good at protecting the puck. He's good about creating space with his size. Um, so I think he could slot into the third line and be sort of that, you know, kind of that muscle grinder type right away, just to try to get some of those, you know, early butterflies of your initial experience out of the way. Um, uh, but again, you know, does the coaching staff say, hey, we just want, we're going to put you in the fourth line only because this is just our introduction. I could see him start there, um, but I don't think he stays there. I'll put it that way. I think he, he could easily stop to the third or maybe second line, depending on how well he progresses and how much he contributes offensively. Let's move quickly to the defense here. Alice Goligoski, uh, Jared Spurgeon, Jonas Brody, and Matt Dumba. Pretty safe to say they're going to be in the top four there. Uh, first question for you. Is Kalen Addison a roster hopeful or is he headed to the AHL? He is going to the NHL. Um, at the end of the day, I, I, you know, it's tough because when we did not see the free agent signings last year or this last summer, I should say, you know, Kulikov, Merrill, um, Jordy Ben, I thought that there was, you know, some, you know, I thought his spot was there. Now I didn't like the role. Maybe that spot was, you know, was there for him and maybe, 
that's why the signings occurred. Um, so I think he starts in the AHL, but there's no question he's the absolutely first call up if anybody's injured or not playing well. So I think he starts in Iowa. All right. That bottom two pairing now, Dmitry Kulikov, John Merrill, Jordy Ben. Uh, who's the odd one out right now on opening night? Jordy Ben. Um, I think Jordy Ben's the odd one out. I just think Kulikov and Merrill are more of your point of, you know, just that perform better from what we're what we've been hearing. Um, from uh, Michael Roos and others, and other folks who have been covering the team very closely, uh, doesn't say that Jordy Ben isn't capable because he's absolutely is. He wouldn't be signed if he, you know if they, the management team didn't believe in him. But uh, based on those three, and, and who knows, maybe they'll maybe they'll rotate. You know, be a three man rotation that bottom pairing just to see you know who kind of wins the job. But as of right now, it seems like Jordy Ben is that seventh defenseman. Final question here for you, Nick, about the Minnesota Wilds. Cam Talbot, Capo Kakinen, what kind of, provided they're both playing to their ability, what kind of split do we see from this goaltending tandem? 70 30. Uh, I think you're still going to see Cam Talbot taking the majority of the workload. Uh, as we know, Capo had a good start. He kind of regressed a bit towards the second half of the season, um, but you have to still give him opportunities. And you also got to give t- uh, Cam Talbot rest. Again, this schedule with the Olympic break that's in there, you have a lot of. Uh, very tight uh, scheduling things where you're going to have three games in four nights and back-to-backs. And so you're going to have to rely on your backup goaltender to make sure you're not overworking Cam Talbot. Because uh, when Cam Talbot's healthy, he's a damn good goaltender. However, if you overwork him, he gets tired. Um, again, like any athlete, um, they're not going to be you know at their best. So uh, he's going to be an integral part of the season. Uh, so it's, I think he gets at least 30% of the starts um, you know, uh, for the season. Yeah, excited to see what this Minnesota Wild group can do. That will do it for episode number 81. Hockey is not only around the corner anymore. We are in the corner of hockey and getting ready to rock and roll at the start of this season for everybody involved here. So excited to be with you here on the Huskies Warmer House podcast. Excited to cover it. For Nick Max and I'm Noah Grant, and we will see you in the den soon. Before I say that, we do have a guest this week as well, recording tomorrow night on Monday. It's Alice Micheletti that's going to join us uh, to talk a little bit about that Mankato series as well, too. So um, with that, We'll see you soon here in the deck. One timer coming, they score. Ripped in a bomb from Perrix. No, Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores. Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies. Dwayne Kaprizov in for a chance to win it. He scores. Now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title.